Thank you so much. Man, I'm excited. I've been in, I've been in an IGP meeting with small groups this morning, and so I like had to like shake the IGP off me. Um, man, Jack Morning, what school did you go to, Jack? Oklahoma. The University of Oklahoma. Come on. Just letting you know where greatness lies. Hey, can I tell you guys this? Um, when I moved here as a youth pastor in 2010, um, Jack was on staff as an executive, and I like had the privilege of meeting with him one-on-one every single month. And uh, first off, we would have a little small talk about OU football, and then he would just blow my mind up. And I, I literally every time would walk down as my office was downstairs, I'd walk down, like had to like ride all over my windows because my mind was just like you know he would take a conversation and just expand it. He he really is. Um, a great leader, but the way he leads with humility is just paramount. And so for you to have the opportunity to sit down with someone that not, doesn't just know church history, but the business world, um, that's a pretty cool thing. And I would take an opportunity if I was you to do that. Thank you, Colby, for the kind words. I'm excited about jumping in this conversation. I even wore an OSL shirt today to rock it out. And um, I, that's right. You can get yours on sale now for, uh, no, they're free. All right, they're working on it. Um, hey, I, I believe this. I, I remember driving down the road one time with uh, Tim Summers, who was one of our interns, and we were just talking, and I said this statement, and it's been a statement that I, I kind of lead with sometimes, and we we're just talking about our own stories, and I said this statement, I said, you lead from your story. It means who I am as a leader is because of, like, my story, like, from where I grew up from my experiences in, in ministry and the churches I've worked um, in and the leaders I've worked with, who I am is, is a combination of my own story. So the way I lead is from my story. Um, all the people on my team know that we use football analogies in probably every conversation because um, football is a part of my story. And so it's, we, I lead from that. The way I communicate is from that. I, I've, I've understood what it was like. I grew up in a church. Um, my parents got saved uh, when I was like two or three, and then they became pastors. And still today, my dad is a bivocational pastor in Drumright, Oklahoma. This Sunday, they might have 50 people at church. And, and my dad, who's, who's not a musician at all, will be playing the drums because it, like, they don't have a drummer. And like, like it's just like I grew up um, in, the, in the culture of a church of 100 and a youth ministry of 30 in fellowship halls and, and potlucks. And that was the narrative of my story. And so you lead from that. Um, I became a youth pastor in, in, in Oklahoma City, um, in the inner city of Oklahoma City, and, and getting the opportunity to lead through that. I had, my first pastor that hired me got fired. And so I, here I was at 20, um, 21 years old having to literally lead, okay, like 21 years old leading um, like all staff meetings, being a, a preacher on Sunday mornings. For some crazy reason, I was also at a Christian school and I decided, hey, I'm going to help coach football. Oh, by the way, because of a little bit of theater background, I'm going to teach drama every first hour. And I'm like dating my wife and, and that's pretty crazy. And, and so like, like that's my, like, I, like that's a part of who I am and, and in that narrative there. And then, and then had the opportunity to, to um, moved to Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, where I youth pastored there. And my pastor there, four and a half years in, has a moral failure. And getting to walk through that and, and the pain of that. And, and so 
that, that impressed me, like, like impressed on me who I am. A part of the way I am is because of the story that I've lived through. So I just want you to understand that you lead from your story. So this is a part of your story. This is a part of your narrative. Now, all of us are part of the greater narrative of Scripture. And so we're continuing the God story that, that he's been writing. But you just need to know, for me as a leader, who I am as a leader, a big part of it is that my story and, and how I've lived my life is such such a big part of that. And so I just I just want you to know, first off, before I get into kind of the, the, the meat of our conversation, um, I want to kind of debunk some things because I've been in youth ministry, um, started in 2001, August 13th. I pulled on, I was 19 years old. I pulled onto the parking lot in inner city, Oklahoma City. Actually, that day, my dad drove down with me. We're driving, saw a homeless man, gave him $20. My dad said, son, you're going to go broke if you give all your money away to people. I was like, dad, I, just, I saw him. You know, I'm like this young leader. And so my dad leaves. I'm 19 years old in a, in a studio apartment in Oklahoma City. And that apartment became my prayer room, and it became a place that I found myself on my knees praying and seeking God that a generation would come to know Jesus and to get students to believe we can reach this city. The next thing you know, in the next three and a half years, in a declining church, we grew a ministry from 30 to over 100 because we just did everything we could to, man, do this thing. But there's this misconception when it comes to leadership. Now that you have social media, I didn't have that when I started youth ministry. The only way I knew it was something was going on in another church is if they were on TBN or I met them at a district event or I was in their tape club. Like that was, and that's a cassette tape. I know it's cool now, but like that, there was no iPods. There was no podcasts. There was no YouTube. I know it's hard to believe, but, but so for me, like I didn't have the pressures that you have. I didn't have the pressure. I never had this moment going, oh man, I have to be like Carl Lentz. I didn't have the pressure. Like, I, the, like the way I dressed, all, like it just, there was none of that pressure that you have. And so I just want to kind of debunk something. A lot of times if you go to events, you just think, how cool would it be to get in the green room? Oh, the green room. And you see the speakers if you're at a conference and they walk out a different door. Where's that door go? <laughs> the green room, man, what if I could just be in the green room? Can I tell you, in almost 18 years of youth ministry, I've been in a lot of green rooms. And I've met any person you can think of meeting, I've met them. When I met Andy Stanley, I literally was in a green room and I said, hey man, can I charge my phone right here? I'm Joseph, and met Andy Stanley on my knees right here and just said, hey, don't let anybody steal my phone. And so it was just one of those things of like, like, like and when I met Craig Rochelle, I actually, when I met him, I literally grabbed his arm because he's huge. So I did like the arm test to go, dude, this dude really is massive, this is real. <laughs> This is real. So understand, I've been, you know, Carl Lentz, Rich Wilkerson Jr. this summer, getting to hang out with him. Like, like all those people that you think, oh, that's really cool. And I'm not saying that like, oh, man, you know, like, like you start thinking to yourself, so if I know Rich, does that mean I know Justin Bieber just through association? I don't know. You decide. You decide. No, but the thing is, is there's this misconception that ministry success is when I finally get in the green room. And that's a lie, man. It's not about green rooms. Green rooms are not the destination. I'm here to tell you before I get into a, a conversation about culture and leadership, let me just talk from someone that's been doing youth ministry a long time and in the church world. It's not about green rooms. I'll give you three quick thoughts. Ministry isn't about green rooms. It's about hospital rooms. I can tell you a moment. February 2010, young man named Yaki. 
a few days later, a few days before this moment, decided to give up. His last Facebook post was suicide's the only option. And as I was in this hospital room, St. Francis Hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma, with his family, and to see them unplug his breathing apparatus and to see a young man breathe his last breath, and to see a mom lay her body over her son weeping, it's not about green rooms. It's about hospital rooms. A former superintendent in Oklahoma, Armour Newburn, attended our church. It was really cool. The church I was at, we had a lot of retired pastors. Our pastor at the time just honored retired pastors. We had a, a monthly lunch for retired pastors. So it was cool for me as a young pastor that I had to roll with kind of legends, pioneers of the church world. And I went one time to see him in the hospital, and he said, hey, fellas, you know, he's, he's been there, and he says, listen, this is way more important than what you do on a stage. He said, people won't remember what you preach, but they'll remember your presence in moments like this. Can I tell you that ministry is not about green rooms? It's about hospital rooms. Don't, don't, don't have this misconception what ministry really is. Can I tell you, ministry isn't about green rooms. It's about locker rooms. And some of you guys know, again, my personal narrative is like we have been hanging out with students in locker rooms for years now especially the last few years in Waxahachie. It's stuff that's really, for me, I've never been a part of something like it. To see students saved, to see students in locker rooms praying, to be present in locker rooms, it's the things that no one else sees. Can I tell you, locker rooms are smelly. They are. I enjoy the smell because it brings me back to some good, good memories. But they're smelly. Locker rooms, and, and, and it's bad, but you have to kind of like walk with your head down because guys in locker rooms just don't believe in clothing. And so it's like, it's like there, there's some, it's as raw as it gets in a locker room. Can I tell you that ministry is not about green rooms. It's about locker rooms. And last, ministry is not about green rooms. It's about living rooms. One Wednesday night, I got a phone call from a young man, um, Bryce Solick, actually his, his mom, and said, hey, can you drive Bryce home? I said, yeah, what's up? I said, well, we just found out that his dad's going back to prison, and here's a single mom. She says, I don't want to tell him alone. Now, that's not on my Instagram story that night, but as I drive this young man home and sit with him and his brother and his mom and some family friends to say, hey, listen, like, you know, they just found out that your dad's going back to jail. And Bryce is like, not again. Like, like that's, I mean, it's not about green rooms. That same young man, as he graduated, you know where I was on graduation night of Waxhatchee this last year? I was in a living room ironing young men's shirts that didn't have a mom or dad to iron their shirts and to help them tie their ties. That's the thing that, that doesn't show up on an Instagram story. But it's not about green rooms. So I want you to, before we get into culture and leadership, guys, you need to rethink this thing. Jesus was at water wells. He, 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 was, he was in the midst of, of the, the, the things that no one else wanted to touch then that's what you and I are called to be. And so I just don't think sometimes when people see, you know, me flying and I'm posting stories and traveling to tell people about Jesus, you have to understand that at the core of what we do is really about walking slowly through the crowd and meeting people right where they are. And can I tell you, all of you can do that. So now let's talk a little bit about culture. Sound good? So I'm gonna talk to you today about Creating and changing culture. This talk, it's the only second time I've ever done this talk. I had a guy ask me to speak at this um, youth kind of leaders thing. And he said, hey, I want you to talk about 
like creating culture because just the culture that you guys have is, is paramount, man, and man, so many people look into it. And so, how, and so then I had to start thinking, okay, how, how, do, I, how do I get there? And what do, we, what do you talk about? I actually have a talk that Jack did years ago that's about like these different ways that, that you can, you know, how to change culture. And I've heard all these great talks, but I was like, what about us? And so um, just to think about what it means to be uh, a leader of culture. So before that, we're going to do a little pop quiz. Sound good? I have a couple of, couple of books here that we're going to give away. And so let me exit out of my timer. Oh, no. Close. Close. Andrew, why don't you just read those off? Because I'm like, okay, I found it. Never mind. Um, Andrew Prescott. Here we go. What is our number one responsibility? Raise your hand. Boom. Got you. Make disciples. Here you go. Here's a book. All about making disciples. It's called the Be With Factor, mentoring students every day. And it talks about how Jesus was with people. This is free. I just had this. Sorry, Clayton. Like, I have a handful of these I give out. It's, to me, it's one of the greatest albums ever. You don't have to answer a question for this, but how many do not have this album? You don't have this album? You get the. It's pretty cool. All right. Um, next question. Here we go. A Love Does by Bob Goff. First off, you don't have it. Um, what are. Uh, What's a B3? A B3. The three. B3. B3. Come on. Love does and so does, so does you. Uh, so do you. Here we go. Um, let's, who can list, you don't have to know what they are, the, the five S's. The five S's. The five S's. All right, go for it. Satisfying, significant, suitable, sustainable, and strengthening. That is right. This is, to me, to me, it's one of my favorite books. Um, Brad Lominick, who is a massive OU fan and a, and a friend of mine. And this is the thing about Brad. Brad's going to be with us at CMN Conference. And so uh, if you haven't read this, this really is one of the, the best books. Here we go. Last book. This is a big one, so you're going to have to earn this one. Um, here we go. Oh, this would be good. That's um, oh, too easy. Where are the three staff commands? Oh, who said that? Wow. Sorry, he just said it. You have this book? Do you have this book? All right, who does not have this book? Who knows? Who knows uh, P3? <laughs> there you go. And if you do those things, you know what? You're going to define some moments. <laughs> hey, those are some of the, the culture uh, things for us, language things. And so if you're taking notes, I'm just simply creating and changing culture. First off, let's jump into Scripture. It says in Colossians 3.23, Colossians 3.23, it says this. Um, let me get back to this here. Go, go, push start. Um, Culture 323, it says this, whatever you do, someone say whatever you do. Whatever you do. Like whatever you do. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. And I just want to, first off, for you to understand, when, it, when you start thinking about leadership and culture, it's like, man, we're just called to pray for people. And like you said, go to hospitals. Not everything is spiritual. Everything that we do, we do in the Lord. 
And can I tell you, for, for me, um, I love my dad. My dad's an unbelievable leader um, in the sense of, of this, is that I mean, he leads his family. Um, my, my dad is, man, still one of my favorite preachers and, man, a great shepherd. But my dad has never been able to lead a church to the next level simply because he didn't know how to lead. He didn't know how to lead culture and how to move things forward in that way. So he knew how to preach. He, he, he knew, man, how to tell other people about Jesus. He knew how to show up to the hospital and be present. That's why it's imperative that you're a part of a school like this. And even for us, we don't give a lot of our guys a lot of preaching reps. Because I'm like, you're going to get that. Preaching's just dirt, talking to dirt about God. Like, it's, it's like, man, it's, this isn't that hard. To me, it's not. Uh, yeah, you can take public speaking classes. But listen, it's, you're just telling, it's, Jesus already did the work. The, the word does the work. Just, hey, this is what the Bible says. Like, but leadership, man, that's something that you have to lean into to help move people forward. So first off, I just want you to know that ministry and leadership, it's, it's both, it's, it's ministry and leadership. It's, it's both and not either or. To me, another way to say it in the way that we say it in Oaks Youth, it's breath and bones, spirit and structure. It's breath and bones. Like, like it's, it's to think about, you know, um, this idea that, man, the Holy Spirit breathes. Yes, you need breath, but you have to have a body to breathe into. It's breath and bones. It's spirit and structure. Creating culture is spiritual, but it's also structural as well. There's structure this thing. I love what Reggie Joyner and how he defines culture. He says this, culture is the beliefs and behaviors that define a social group. Culture, it's, culture isn't, what, and I love this statement, it's Andy Stanley, I think it said it, culture isn't what's on the wall, but it's what's in the hall. Like, you can have, culture is not defined on a banner, but defined in our behavior. And so I've been around churches for a long time, it's like, oh, we are about loving people, and you walk in and go, I really didn't feel love though. So yeah, it's cool, you have it on the wall, but is it in the hallway? Is it lived out? Is, is yeah, cool, it's on a banner, but it, is it in behavior? Before you're a culture creator, you're a culture translator. All of us are translating culture. When Pastor Scott says something, I'm hearing that, I'm translating that within my department. You're translating the vision of your church and your pastor in your ministry. I simply kind of put it in three categories. There's culture casters, and because I wanted to do C's, but it's kind of the person that's, that's casting culture, it's throwing it out there. There's culture catchers, and there's culture carriers. So there's culture casters, culture catchers, and culture carriers. Culture casting is about language. It's about language. Culture catchers, it's about listening. I'm hearing, I'm listening what the culture is. And the last thing is leading. Culture carrier, I'm leading the way. And so many of us, we go into cultures, we go in and we're like, well, this is what I did at my church. And hey, I have some experience. Let me tell you. No, 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 no. Before you tell, you need to listen. We, we have these five points. I need to give them to... Um, uh, to Pastor Brian, but we, we send a lot of people off into churches to go be youth pastors and, and uh, across the nation and from OSL. And we kind of have these five things of when you go into a new church, follow these five steps. And I think the first one's like, like learn the history, listen to the culture. The last one's lead. The last one's lead change. But we all want to go, I have all these ideas, they're awesome. No, 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 I have to first listen. I have to learn and then I can lead. So there's culture casters, culture catchers, and culture carriers. Building culture always starts with thinking, and thinking leads to behaviors. Mark does a whole talk on this. Behaviors set habits, habits set culture. 
For us, we believe that it's a, it takes about three years. It takes about three years to have an idea. Anyone can have an idea. Can I tell you that? Anyone can have an idea. But to move that idea from something we say from birth to maturity, that's a whole other thing. Because growing and building culture is hard. Like speaking some word, that's pretty easy. I'll just put it this way. Um, a lot of people have babies. But very few parents get to see that baby grow up to be like a mature adult. Most people don't have divorce. Like, dear, like you don't have, like people don't file for divorce after the honeymoon. They're pumped. They just had the greatest week of their life. Probably a week they'll never be able to repeat. Um, but it's like the greatest week. I've tried. I just, it just hasn't happened. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but it's like the greatest week of your life. And you're like coming back and people literally say like, you just have a glow about you. And, and it's like, it's so awesome. And you've just spent a full week with your, your significant other and you've never had that much time. And you get to do what married people do and it's awesome. It's in the Bible and it's so cool. But it's usually when you have a baby that you're like, this is hard. Like there's poop involved in it. And, and I don't have it. Well, my parents did it this way and your parents, and it, and it gets complicated. Now there's like money. Like, can I tell you? Having four kids and going out to eat at a restaurant is expensive. And it's, it's not, it's not it, like now that we have a family of six and, and Brian, you guys, it's, it's not like it's harder to get tables. I have to wait 30 extra minutes. I'm like, why do we have another kid? And <laughs> passion, I don't know. Like it, but it, it's, just, it's just one of those things that like it's in that moment that parents go, dude, this is too hard. I give up. Anyone can write something on a whiteboard. It's a whole nother thing to put it on a workbench and make it happen. And so, listen, there, there's, you know, that, that's for us. It's, man, I want to see an idea move to implementation. For that to happen, man, it's habits are going to have to culture. It's about sowing and reaping. St. Corinthians 9, 6, Paul says this. Remember this? A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. I guess that can apply to being a father too. Um, <laughs> I, I sow generously. And so, man, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds. So, so literally it's the, the process of reaping and sowing. And so this idea of like, man, you have, to, you have to get this thing out. So a few things to think about is this. Vision gets them in the room, but culture keeps them in the room. So as a church, we, you can have a compelling vision and they might show up, but as most churches are, are trying to fight for and they read books and they buy books and they go to conferences, it's like, we can get them there, but we can't keep them there. Culture is what keeps people in the room. Vision gets them in the room. The second thing to think about is this. You have to avoid culture comparisons. The worst thing is to compare your field to someone else's field because God gave you that land for you to sow and to reap. And we can look and go, man, that's really cool what Elevation does. I want their, their culture. Well, Elevation is, is like in the Carolinas, and, and it's a different culture. And, a different, and I, can't, I can't compare that culture with this. And that comparison goes into leaders. Can I tell you that you're better than Carl Lentz? You're better than Judah Smith? You're like, no way, man. Like, I'm not as cool. Like, they have cool glasses and all that stuff. I don't even know if they're prescription, but they're cool. No, you know why you're better? Because God created you to be you. You're the best you you can be. No one else can be you but you, so be you. Like, so when you get 
the trap of comparison, it's not as scary as an individual leader. It's scary when it comes to leading culture because you start putting another man's culture in place. I heard it said like this, that you need to walk on the word that God's giving you. God, what's your plan for our church, for, for our team? Listen, God gave Moses a word to walk on dry, uh, on dry ground, but Pharaoh started trying to walk on another man's word, and what happened? He drowned. So you got to be careful trying to live on someone else's word. So, man, avoid culture comparisons. The last thing is this, just a couple things to think about. Don't be afraid to change the culture. Why a lot of churches and a lot of ministries don't, like, see growth is because they're not willing to change. The greatest example to me is Blockbuster. I used to go get DVDs at Blockbuster Video. I had a card and everything. And uh, it was cool. It was like a membership at Blockbuster. And I remember when I lived in Broken Arrow especially, I, I got my hair cut at Supercuts. And I know when you look at this, like, Uptown Fade that I got right now, you're thinking, dude, where'd you get that? We're right. This, this is sports clips. But back then it was Supercuts, you know. And Supercuts was right beside, was right beside um, Blockbuster. So I'd go in, and they're like 30-minute wait. I'm like, oh, I'll put my name down. And I'd walk in Blockbuster, and I'd be walking through the aisles and seeing all the new releases. And that's how you, you get a DVD, and you're like, yo, babe, like, hey, bring a DVD home. I know it's really hard. You're like, I don't even have a place to put that. But it's like, that was, but someone along the way said, hey, we're going to do this thing called Redbox. You don't have to go in the store. You can just walk right up to the little box get your DVD. And there's still some red boxes around, but Blockbuster didn't change. They actually eventually created little Blockbuster red boxes. But then what happened? Next thing you know, Netflix showed up. And now there's like, um, you know, all sorts of other streaming, you know, things, Amazon, like all these different things. Did movies change? Like movies haven't changed. But how we see movies and, rece- and, like, and receive movies have changed. So you have to think, man, what are we going to do? What, what can we change? Um, Hunter, I was just in the IGP, and he shared this story about um, how, like, there was Pepsi was in this meeting, and, you know, they're talking, and this one intern really wasn't talking much. Like, hey, what, do you have an idea? And, and she literally, the idea was, what if we have, like, like screw bottle caps, like, the, like bottle caps that come off and on instead of, you know, the... And that idea was revolutionary. Now, are we still drinking Pepsi? I am. Cherry Pepsi, actually. But you know what? I don't have to, like, go find a bottle opener. I can just pop it open. Boom, boom, boom. Drink that poison. Like, (laughs) so you can't be afraid to change. I love what Peter uh, Drucker says. He says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So how can we practically put some legs on this? for us uh, at, at Oaks Youth as a team, we decided to establish a culture of a few things. We have a culture in Oaks Youth of communication. We value communication. We're constantly communicating. For us, we say clarity is, clarity is king. And there's a battle for the throne. And who wants the throne is confusion. And the only way to keep clarity king is communicate. And so communication, man, so we want, because confusion is this, chaos. That's what the enemy wants is chaos. Chaos is when people on your team is going, what's going on? Who's doing what? That is not a good place because leaders don't know the direction to go. So for us, we're constantly communicating. Communication keeps clarity king. Listen, so we establish a culture of communication. We establish a culture of preparation. We will work hard to prepare. Man, the amount of meetings that go in to prepare for one service 
Why is that service a big deal? Because every service is a big deal. Because every service is someone's first service. It can't just be a culture. We're going to really go big on Easter. Guys, that's one day a week or one day a year. Every single week. Can I tell you, my parents didn't get saved on Easter. They were hurting and showed up to a church, and that church met their need, and they gave their life to Jesus. I'm glad that that week they didn't want to take off because it wasn't Easter. I'm glad they prepared that week. Preparation. We value preparation. Preparation takes a little perspiration. You're going to sweat a little bit when you prepare. The next thing is collaboration. We embrace collaboration. The greatest ideas come in collaboration, not isolation. You have to ask yourself, am I doing this alone? Jesus himself. Did he need the disciples? Come on, he's Jesus. No, he decided to do life together. Man, we embrace, for us, Oaks Youth, man, we have a culture of collaboration. And the last thing, and I have a whole other, another talk on this, so I'll just simply say it. We have a culture of evaluation. evaluation. So, man, we establish a culture of communication, preparation, collaboration, and evaluation. We're constantly asking these questions. How's it feel, flow, and function? F3 is what I call it. Feel, flow, and function. How's this feel right now? How's this feel for a first-time guest? How's this flow? Flow is huge. How's this function? How many have ever got out of line or you've walked out of a restaurant? I have because I'm like, what in the world? They need to get their stuff together. I see empty tables, but no one's doing anything. Deuces, I'm out. Because of your inefficiency, I'm going and taking my business elsewhere. You know what? There's people that walk into churches that do the exact same thing. And you're like, well, we didn't know. Well, they never filled out your visitor form because they weren't in there long enough. Like, they, they pieced out. So you have to be constantly thinking, how do we get better? And Eli's like, well, you got to, no, we use it, this language. We say spirit-led excellence. The Lord gave me that statement. I actually was wearing my glasses that day, and I talked about to our team. I was like, I actually have, like, two, like, two different prescriptions in my eyes. My left eye, I'm, like, blind. Like, when I cover my right eye, like, even with my contact on, they're like, like the big E is the only thing I see in the eye doctor. I'm like, yeah, the big one is the bottom. It's E. Because I've memorized it because I've been going to the eye doctor my whole life. So I'm like almost like blind in my left eye. And my right eye, so my contacts, like they have different, so if I ever, and I've had a, like been in a rush and put the contacts in the wrong eyes and everything's like all blurry. So for us, like, like two different prescriptions, we want to be spirit led. We also want to live a life of excellence. This is tough in a spirit empowered church culture because a lot of people's like, we just need a spirit. I remember, check this out, when we first started doing series, People's like, why are you doing a series? Like, you just got to get a word from God. When I first started youth ministry, every week was just a different service, different sermon. God, speak to me. Just going into your tent to just get a word. And then we just, and so there's no advertisement. Hey, next week, next week's like, just come back. We're just going to get another word from the Lord. And that was the thing. So when people started doing, listen, I remember in the Sermons of God, when people started doing series, people's like, how, do, how can you hear from God? How's he speaking to you from like a week from now? I'm like, dude, do you not read scripture? Like, God has a plan. It wasn't whoop, there it is. It was like day one, day two, day three, day four, day five. He had a plan. So for us, we believe in spirit-led excellence. I love what Brad uh, Cooper, who's one of the executive pastors at New Spring, I actually posted this on my story on Tuesday. He said this, nothing will drift toward excellence today. It will take vision. A willingness to work, sweat, real effort. But here's God's promise. They will see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. In short, our excellence is our worship. Spirit-led excellence. So I'll wrap it up with this. Oaks Youth, let's just take one category. At Oaks Church, um, you know, this is an Oaks Church. I mean, hey, we, we want people to be disciples, right? So we're committed. That's our culture because we're translators. Man, we're committed in Oaks Youth to have a culture of discipleship. Let's break that down. What's that mean? Well, it means this. Your calendar should reflect your culture. 
If you say you want discipleship, there should be things on your calendar that reflect that. Michael Hyatt said, what gets on the calendar gets done. Oh, man, I'm going to, no, 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 no. You got to put on the calendar. So how do we do that? Services. Our services reflect discipleship. Small groups. Statement that we say. Our students know it. Small groups are a? Big a big deal. Like, they know that. Scripture engagement. Man, we engage them in Scripture. We give them context as communicators on Wednesday nights, but also we're engaging them in Scripture and small groups on, on Wednesday in, in our grow, um, you know, uh, mechanism with junior high. And then with catechism. Man, we, we believe, hey, we believe in discipleship so much, we're going to go through, listen to this, our catechism is a three-year process. That's hard. But do we really value as our culture, really, to have disciples? Then we're going to commit to this. Man, obedience sometimes, it's, it's, I love what Mark Batterson says, I believe in long obedience in the same direction. God doesn't change his mind. Like, man, hey, God, you said it, I'll do it. Serving. Man, how do, man, discipleship, serving, missions, global youth, student pathway. For us, we're committed. We are called to build pathways, not programs. So I'll wrap up with this. Last few thoughts to remember when it comes to culture. Culture must be clarified, consistent, and celebrated. Culture must be clarified. You must have a clear target to aim at, and it needs to be communicated. There has to be clarity. Culture must be clarified. The second thing and I love this one, culture needs to be consistent. A lack of consistency creates a lack of credibility. Craig Rochelle, or as Pastor Andrew calls him, Seagro, Seagro, um, says this, successful leaders do consistently what others do occasionally. Mark Batterson, and I just said it, I believe in long obedience in the same direction. The last thing, celebrated Remember what you reward gets repeated. There's actually a book called Well Done, W-H-A-L-E, Well, like Well, Shamu. It's actually about a guy that goes to this, like to SeaWorld, and he's like, how in the world is this person getting this massive well to do this? And it goes, it's actually about celebration. It's celebrating. And so this whole book's actually how this idea of celebrating others changed how he, like literally made him a better husband, a better father, and a better businessman. And he started, literally, he actually bought little shamus and gave it to people and like, well done. And we've done that from time to time. Oaks Youth, we actually had game balls, little stress balls that said seven at the time, rest in peace. But it's like, um, but we would give these out to people. Hey, you get the game ball. Before that, we used to give it annually. Like we gave like a basketball, baseball. And I literally went to a lady's house one time on her manual, or manual, manual. <laughs> it's such a pastor, <laughs> on her, in her manual. Um, on her mantle, literally was a basketball that we gave her for being a great leader and, and celebrating her. So I'm telling you, man, celebration is huge, huge, huge when it comes to culture. I don't know how much time I have, um, but we have a few minutes for what I call Q&R because I don't have the answers, but I do have a response to your questions. And so a um, couple of questions. I went rapid fire. Go for it. So how's it actually going to be? So how do you best, like, when you're, when you're initially conceiving culture, trying to create it, well, how do you best bet or, like, analyze, is this going to be an effective practical thing? Um, I, I think, I'm talking, I have a whole conversation on this. Uh, you do your homework. I, I think the worst thing is when you go from idea to implementation too quick is because, hey, I have an idea, let's do it tomorrow. I could tell you multiple moments of failure that I was like, hey, we're going to do groups. All right, you're a group leader, you're a group leader. And I gave them the material, and literally the next week, or I think it was like three weeks later, that people stopped going to groups. 
because I didn't, I didn't do the process. And dude, learn from other people. You know, for me, when it comes to culture, it's like, hey, first off, is this the first question you always need to ask when you're in a department under is, is this in alignment with the house? Yes. Now, Pastor Scott's not the youth pastor. I am. That's what he hired me to do. So I'm like, I don't have to go ask pastor every time. Hey, can, can we like, can we like give away like koozies this week? Um, I don't know if that'd be a good idea. Um, can we give away... You know, it's why they're at the party, the reps Jesus, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we are Oaks Youth, you know, and so, um, write that one down. Um, but I don't have to ask him every little thing. Hey, we're doing wristbands. Do you care if we do wristbands? No, it's, it's hey, is our culture in alignment? And then we start looking and seeing, man, what's, what's God's word say about this? What has God spoken to us? Because, again, Noah building the ark, like, he believed it. Like, but a lot of other people didn't. Sometimes when you pioneer, you have to do something no one else has done before. But we, it's 2019. For the most part, there's been a few people succeed and fail at this thing called church. We should learn from them. And so I think that's a part of that. And a part of it too is, I think a hard thing is like, when do we, um, you know, Andrew had a great question the other day because we were talking about culture. It's like, when do you, what if it doesn't work? I think sometimes it, it, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't fit. Sometimes you don't see it work because you gave up too soon. OBDC, this is our eighth year to do the series. The first year, people thought we were crazy. I literally was making crews that day. I literally grabbed Hunter, said, Hunter, you're in a dance crew. Um, Alan Orcutt, you're in a dance crew. Hey, Pastor Aaron Escamilla, you're in a dance crew. And because we didn't have enough crews. And it was like, it, it just, it, it wasn't, people, it was awkward. We didn't have a lot of dance crews. They weren't that good. But I was like, I believe in this. I know it can happen. And then year two, year three. And so we've actually seen it grow. And like, like if you were there last night, I'm talking the level of crews at a whole nother level. And then along the way, we got better. Pastor Antonio said, hey, instead of us just asking crews, what if we get small groups to do crews? I'm like, you're a genius. And so again, we, we didn't, you, didn't submit, you can't commit to just that idea. This is what we said. Along the way, it, it grows, it changes. Again, movies, how we, how we give them out has changed. So the idea of movie and cinema and film, it's still there. But how we, we do that changes. So I think sometimes you just have to step out and do it, but also be willing to kill it because sometimes you marry something too long. And it's like, ah, like I, when I got here, Extreme Bowl was something that Scott Wilson started, Pastor Scott, because their youth ministry was named Extreme. And they did like this, you know, um, seven on seven football thing. When we got here, we were doing it. We were losing money. It took a lot of work from our interns. They were freezing their butt off. It was a long two days. And I was just like, why are we doing this? And Jenny Wilson was on our staff at the time. She's like, Joseph, you can kill it. And I was like, man, it's because a lot of times churches will go, well, we've always done it. Right. Now you got it. Like Jesus actually showed up and said, hey, hey, y'all used to do it this way. We changing it now. You know what I'm saying? Like there, there's, there's, there's a different way. But there's some of those things we're still going to believe in. We're still going to do. Yeah, we want you to love God. We want you to love your neighbor. Well, who's your neighbor? You know what I'm saying? Right. And so you have to be willing to change and adapt. But sometimes what paralyzes us is the fear of failure. And so we never try. And so you have to be willing to try. And, and in that, people always go, how do you have all these systems? How do you have all? And I'm like, it's all from failure. All of our little, like, you know, all of our, you know, as we call it, youth ministry math, like all the little, like, way to lead a meeting, the way to, you know, the way to evaluate, all that's because we failed and we decided, hey, I don't like failure. Let's change it and figure out a way to help us navigate that. I have very long responses to short questions, by the way.
start changing things and then them be left not on your team and wanting to go the other way and then they like mutiny against you. And yeah. Maxwell calls it the law of the buy-in. You have to get them to, it has to become their idea. But that means you have to be in, in conversation with them. When I came here, I still have the document. My first Wednesday, I went on my computer and wrote a thing, B2B is what I called it, better to bigger. If you've ever heard the Dan Cathy thing of like Chick-fil-A, for us to become bigger, we must become better. I was like shocked. Leaders didn't have lanyards. Check-in was whack. The worst thing for me to do is to walk into somebody after my first week on staff and go, do you not see? Holy Moses, this thing's falling apart. But I saw it. First off, I could see it because I've had experience in leadership. So my vision's different. The way I see is different. And so... For me, it's then helping people get on that conversation. I remember our first youth ministry. We were talking about having a youth ministry of 100, and kids couldn't see it because they hadn't been there yet. A leader's job is to be a translator, but also to help them understand and to not speed it up. Um, you know, let me see. Here, let me see your shoe. You can pull it off real quick. Um, nice shoe. Ooh, nice, fun socks. Um, didn't even know you had socks on. They're hidden. Um, this is the thing is a lot of leaders, what happens, they go buy a new pair of shoes. This is the new idea. It's the new culture. Hey, man best like whatever these are steve madden's these are actually nice so it's like hey um you get these at journeys like where'd you get these uh, you know okay all right see um so hey so i got these shoes i like them i knew they'd go with my leather jacket you know hey these are awesome shoes and man these shoes are awesome here these are the new shoes we're gonna wear so what happens leadership starts wearing these shoes and um man it feels good then they present it to the people and then people put just like new shoes new shoes hurt your feet People get in them, they're like, man, pastor, I don't like these shoes. And then what happens, pastors will go, well, why don't you like these shoes? These are the best shoes ever. These are the best shoes. No, no, no. They haven't got to wear them as long as you have. And that's a big mistake for leaders is to present something to people and expect them to get it right away. They need to, let's wear this thing together. Let's be a part of this together. And so to me, it's, it's understanding this is going to take time. But I can't build, okay, I can't build that barn by myself. I'm going to physically die. I'm going to try to move it. Woods, I'm gonna, it's going to fall on me and die. I need help. But people might go, why do we need a barn? Well, we need to start talking about that. So I don't go, hey, we need a barn. It's like, hey, man, like, you ever notice, like, when it rains, like, some of our hay gets wet? And I have no idea why I'm doing a farming analogy right now. Um, <laughs> I did live in Arkansas for a while. You know what I'm saying? I, I did. I See, I'm helping you, man. And so... So it's one of those things of like, and so, yeah, dude, our, our hay is getting wet. Man, it's, yeah, you know, and man, like, you know, when we do feed, like, you know, we, we do the corn and, you know, some of the corn we use and some of it we use for feed. And, and man, it just like, man, the mice and everything's getting in it. And so, and so yeah, man, well, and, and it becomes their idea. And then what happens, they become culture carriers and they're telling people, hey, man, I think we need to build a barn. And so everybody's saying, hey, we need to build a barn. And so when you get up and go, hey, I got an idea. We should build a barn. Everybody's like, Yeah. Let's build a barn. Let's do it together. Let's have a barn raising and be Amish together. It's going to be cool. Thanks for your shoe. Did that answer your question? You can read out in one of Maxwell's books, The Law of the Buy-In. Um, it's a big deal. Last question. Make it count. No pressure. I think you have to read into all the variables of why that culture is the way it is and what can we take from it. Every time we've ever been to a conference, the guys that went with me to Motion Summit last year, we, you know, Church of the Highlands, it's like, 
I'm talking like their youth, like it was packed. You know, they emo- we went to emotion night. We're sitting in all these leader sessions. What happens? You go, we got to do all this. We got to do it right now. And so I always like, right when we get off, and it doesn't matter what time of day or what time of night. I'm talking, I remember the first time we went to like, you know, Seeds Conference. You walk away and go, oh, if we, and, and you get excited, which that's why you go to a conference. Um, there's certain people, I remember bringing Tim Summers to his first conference, and I felt like I created a monster. It was the worst thing I did, actually, <laughs> because he's like, Rah! and I'm like, no, it's like I just gave a kid crack, and now it's all over. <laughs> and um, it's, it's, it's probably some truth in that. And so, and so I always get off, and I say, hey, guys, that was so awesome. It was so cool. What can we learn? It's the idea, the statement. I didn't make it up. It's a statement like, hey, let's take the meat and leave the bones. What helps us? Because best practices, they've, they've went through the pain. Why not take some of that, you know? Um, I think what happens, though, is if you start comparing results and, and you, it just gets messed up because the, you know, we can't, because there's certain things, it's like, it's just, I'll just tell you, when I got here, um, so there's a two-year gap. I'm the fourth youth pastor in 30 years. It's kind of crazy. So there's Scott, there's this guy named Dan Hunter who, who's still doing awesome stuff. There's a guy between us named Shane Walters, who I love, but Shane, I felt like it was his job, and I don't know if it was assigned to him, but was to like completely tear down anything that Shane ever did or, or that, that, uh, that um, Dan ever did. So when I got here, it's like just pieces everywhere. And I'm like, what? What do we do here? Like, like this is not, because I came in here in 2005, I'm like, this is not the same ministry. You can ask my wife. We got home that first Wednesday night, and I'm like, we made the biggest mistake. Like, I came here on a Sunday, and Clayton and Shane and Shane are leading worship. I'm like, this is awesome. Scott gave me a big hug with his awesome goatee at the time. And I'm like, yeah, he's cool, man. And it's like, this is the coolest church ever. And then I, I, I got hired, and I came to my first Wednesday night, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Why'd we do this? We had just spent six years building an unbelievably healthy youth ministry. No one worships. There's no process. And I was just, but what happened is there are certain things that Shane kind of maybe tore down and maybe just, just ignored that Dan Hunter didn't create youth ministry. They're just simple things you do in church world. And so there's certain things you can take from other people. It's like, they didn't create that. Like hospitality is hospitality. Cool, they wear shirts, and the way they open the door, and they, they do this. Like, that's cool, let's, let's do that. That's a cool idea. But it's dangerous, though, too, if you don't stop and go, hey, God, give us an idea. Because I think what happened, the danger is this. You never pray about it because we can take from other people now. Because now I can look on social media and go, oh, that was a cool idea. And so then what happens, we're kind of feeding manna that's old from someone else and it's moldy and it's kind of in the, the, the takeout box and we're giving manna to, the, to our people, but that's not the manna that God gave for us that day for them. And so there is a danger there, but no, you, you, there is a balance. Um, and sometimes you're, gonna, you're just gonna realize this isn't who we are. Like we're not gonna go full black choir on a Sunday. Like that's just not our culture, who we are as a church. You know what I'm saying? We're not all going to start wearing suits this week, you know? I'd have to, like, a couple of them I'd barely squeeze in. And so it's like, it's, it's there's certain things. But what happens sometimes, the worst thing, you know, Jack used this illustration years ago. It's like you, you see an idea and go, hey, that's a cool thing. Let's do it over here. And, and when you do it that quick, sometimes it, the team, it just it's like this huge shift. But, like, that's not what God called us to do. So it's like you have to learn a little bit. But if I, you know, again, use farming, I roll it and go, hey, dude, that's a great irrigation process. That's, why, why don't we take that, you know? It's okay to take it, but I think always constantly, if you evaluate, hey, does this fit us? And if you can create, does this add, like, is this our values? So there are certain churches, like for me, the churches that I roll with and the friends I roll with in youth ministry are like-minded. 
They care about scripture engagement the way I do. All the guys I roll with are big groups guys because I love groups. So it's like, I'm not rolling with, you know, does that make sense? There's certain guys that I don't roll with, you know, and it's not nothing against them. We don't have the same DNA. And so I think even processing, who are we taking ideas from? Start one, do they share the same DNA as us? Are they about discipleship, you know? So anyway, cool, I'm done.